Happy New Year. Man, I love that. I can't wait to dive into this series as we've kicked off 2019, as we think about our circles of influence, the people that we have in our lives that, that we influence and that we are influenced by. And that's a very powerful thing in these relationships that God has, has given us. And one of our circles of influence I want to celebrate today is, um, is a group of, of homeless folks in our state, in our city. Uh, today, I'm excited to announce our Christmas Eve totals. Every year, we take up a Christmas Eve offering that we give 100% away. This is our way of giving Jesus a birthday present uh, because Christmas, after all, is his birthday. And so uh, this year, we're going to give that away to two groups, uh, two charities that are dealing with homelessness. One is here in Charlotte, Supportive Housing Communities. What their goal is is to get people who are homeless off the streets into affordable housing and they do a very good job at this. 98% of the people that they get off the streets into affordable housing stay in affordable housing because uh, these folks know what they're doing. They know how to be in relationships and help folks advance their lives. Uh, and so we're, we're grateful to support that. The other one is a congregation in Asheville, North Carolina, that was launched from a pastor uh, who grew up in this church. And so it is a, it's a church for homeless people in Asheville. So uh, we love helping others. And we talked about how Jesus was homeless. Uh, when he was born, there was no room for him to stay in Bethlehem. Uh, and then he had to flee to Egypt for, for uh, the early part of his life as an immigrant without a home. And so we think Jesus has a soft spot for those who are homeless in our community. And so because of your generosity, uh, so far we've raised $46,607.36. And so let's give God some praise for that. That's just amazing. That's going to make a difference in people's lives. And I'm confident that we, uh, if we hadn't yet had a chance to give to this, I think we can get to $50,000. We'll split that in half, have $25,000 each, and know that our circles of influence are expanding and we're making a difference in the world. So thank you so much for your generosity. Uh, you know, it's the new year, 2019. I've spent some time uh, over the past week or so just trying to take some time out of my life and reflect upon 2018 and just thinking about all the great things that God has been doing in the midst of our congregation, in the midst of our community here in South Park, in my own personal life. And it's been fun for me just to give God some thanks and, and to look back and really see how great God is and, and is working in our lives. Uh, at the same time, I've also tried to do the hard part of being honest and looking back in, in 2018 and and seeing some things that I could have done better professionally, in my own life personally, just some things that I wish I could have done better and, and that I want to do better in 2019. Can I learn from 2018 and move forward to 2019? You know, I, I could stand here and just say to you that there's some things in 2018 that I did that I'm ashamed of. Now, I'm not going to list them for you today because this is worship and not therapy and I don't want to freak you out. But uh, I'm guessing that I'm not alone in that. I'm guessing that we all came in here today with some baggage, uh, some from fresh baggage from 2018, and we're asking ourselves the question, you know, can we really release that and have a new year? Can we really release that and have a new chapter, a new beginning? Can we really find out that Jesus is telling the truth in John 10:10 10, 10, that we can have life to the full? And so what would it take for us to let go of some of that shame and that guilt and that baggage that we carried with us from 2018. And I'm guessing, if you're like me, that we, we might just have some baggage that's older than 2018 that we, we might have been hanging on to for, 
for more than a year, maybe five years, maybe 10 years, maybe since our, our childhood. So today, as we think about influence and how we've been influenced by other people, how we influence others, I want us to take some time and think about some of the shame and guilt that we wrestle with in our lives. And, and why can't we, in 2019, let that go, find good news from Jesus, uh, and have a, a brand new, different year this year? So, brothers and sisters, friends, when you came in today in this room, what shame, what baggage, what cloud is over your head that came in with you today that you could let go of today. I read a pretty cool blog by a guy named John Bloom, and he's talking about how shame is very prevalent in the Bible, and we can learn a lot about that. And he mentioned three specific passages of Scripture, three specific people that were struggling with shame in scriptures. Uh, the first one is from John 4. It's a woman um, who had been married five times, and, and none of those marriages was successful. And she was then living with a man who she was not married to, which in first century Israel was a big no-no. And so she was not popular in her community. People would whisper about her, they'd gossip about her, they'd point and talk about her, they'd say things to her face, they'd give her glares and all that kind of stuff. And so she was tired of it, so she tried to hide, and she didn't want to be around other people. And one of her jobs was to go for her family to get water from the well in the middle of town, but she decided not to do that when all the other women from their families who did this came in the, in the late afternoon, early evening when the sun had kind of gone down, when it was cooler and they could have fun and talk to each other. She wanted to miss that crowd. She didn't want to do that. She was ashamed. And so she went during the heat of the day in the noon hour with the sun over her because she was carrying a lot of shame and a lot of baggage in her community. There's another guy in the Bible. He, this is in the Old Testament. In First Samuel, learn about King David, who was the greatest king of, of Israel, God's homeland there and in the Holy Land. His name was King David, and he did great things for God, greatest king in Israel's history. But he also had a dark side. He had a shadow side, and he had some things that he was ashamed of. And, and the prime one was that while, while his armies were away fighting for Israel and he was in the city, in the capital of Jerusalem, kind of hanging out, he had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba, and she got pregnant, and he was ashamed of that, and he wanted to cover that up, and so he sent for her husband to come off the front lines, hoping they would get together, and then everybody could think that it was his child, but her husband Uriah refused to do this. He's like, I, I can't be with my wife when, when my colleagues are out fighting in a violent war. It's just not right, and so David's plan was kind of foiled, so... He was so ashamed he had to cover this up. He sent Uriah back into the battlefront and made sure that he was killed and that he wouldn't come home. And so David was ashamed of adultery. He was ashamed of murder. And he went to every length that he could to hide that shame. And then there's a woman in Luke chapter 8 in the New Testament. She uh, is, is bleeding, vaginally bleeding for over 12 years, and no one can cure her of that. And she hears that Jesus is coming to town, and this Jesus guy claims to be the Messiah, the Son of God, but, but he is healing people, and it's really happening. And so she thinks that Jesus can heal her. But instead of going up to him in front of the crowd, because when he came to her town, there was a huge crowd, she didn't want to go up and make a public spectacle and say, hey, you know, I've been bleeding for all these years, can you heal me? Because she was just ashamed of it, didn't want to put that out in front of everybody. What she did was she secretly went up 
and she grabbed hold of his cloak where no one could see really what she was doing. And she believed that if she did that, that she would be healed. She didn't want to confront Jesus. She wanted to kind of, you know, tap into his power secretly because she was fighting the specter of shame. My friends, what shame did you carry in with you here today, knowing that you and I are not alone. This is a human condition that we all must deal with, and it even happened in the Bible to real people just like you and me, even though it was thousands of years ago. So what do we do about shame? Well, one thing, we need to know what shame is, and so I offer this, uh, this, this example. got this on the internet, so it must be true. Here's a definition. Uh, shame is the painful emotion caused by a consciousness of guilt or shortcoming, or impropriety, right? So we have this painful emotion because we become aware that we've done something that makes us feel guilty. There's some shortcoming in our life to where we think we're just not good enough or there's some improper thing going on in our lives, right? And so, yeah, we know what it's like to do something wrong and to feel guilty about it. We're ashamed of things. We cheat on our taxes. We cheat on our tests. We cheat on our spouse. We cheat on our boyfriend or girlfriend. That's going to bring guilt into our life, and it's going to do things that we're ashamed of, and we don't want anybody to know about that. Right? And then we're ashamed because sometimes we, we just don't feel that we're good enough. There's a shortcoming in our life. There's a shortcoming in our abilities. There's a shortcoming in our character. It's not a moral issue. It's not a good and evil issue. It's just we're not, we're not good enough when we compare ourselves to other people. I think of uh, an athlete in a small country who may be a great runner and, and rises to the, to the top of the runners in their small country and are sent off to the Olympics to compete against the rest of the world. But when they get to the Olympics, they find out that some other countries have a lot more people uh, to draw from and they have more resources and that in this other country, then they might just be a medium kind of level runner. And so when the race is run, they get lapped. Right? And, and not only do they not meddle, but they are way behind in the standings. I'm sure someone would feel ashamed of that. Even though they've done nothing wrong, they were not able to bring home the gold for their country, they feel a shortcoming, they feel bad about that. So that's a different kind of shame. And then there's the shame of just doing something inappropriate, not intentional, uh, and it's not, uh, you know, a bad thing. It's not a right and wrong thing, a good and evil thing. It's just you, you got your wires crossed and, and something was inappropriate and it made you feel bad. For example, if you're going to a party and you understand that the dress is toga and you're wearing your sheet and your wreath of leaves around your head and you get there and you find out it's a black tie party and you're the only one wearing the, 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 the bath sheet there, Right? It's inappropriate. It's, it's shameful. Have you done something wrong? Absolutely not. It's just wrong place, wrong time, and so we feel shame. So there's different types of shame. So another guy named John, this time a guy named John Piper, said that really there are ultimately two types of shame. He says that there are well-placed shame and there's misplaced shame. And so what well-placed shame is, is, is that bad feeling that we feel because we've done something wrong and, and, and we should feel bad, right? We've done something wrong, we feel guilty about it, and we should feel bad about that, right? So we cheat on our test, we should feel bad about that. We cheat on our boyfriend or our girlfriend, we should feel about that, bad about that. We, we're angry at someone at work and we come home and we scream at our spouse and our children and they've done nothing wrong, we should feel bad about that. 
Well, we gossip about someone and we just we get together with a group of people and we shred someone's character behind their back and and we should feel bad about that. We we get angry at somebody, we take a, a can of spray paint, we go out and you know, write F U on their driveway and we want them to know exactly how we feel. It's wrong, and we should feel bad about that, right? So well placed shame. Things that we do that are wrong, we feel guilty, we feel bad about that. And that's good because it says that we have a conscience and it's calling us and giving us our attention to say we need to make a change and we need to do something about this. Well-placed shame should happen when we dishonor God and when we dishonor other people. When we dishonor God, we dishonor people, we do wrong things, we should feel bad about that. And so that's a positive thing that shame can help us with because it can draw our attention that, hey, things aren't right and we need to do something about this well-placed shame then there's misplaced shame we feel bad about something that we shouldn't feel bad about it's not our fault it's it's not a moral wrong that we've committed we've done nothing wrong so why do we feel bad about that sometimes it can be something small sometimes it can be something incredibly huge Over the holidays, my family and I went to the Chinese Lantern Festival in Raleigh, North Carolina, our capital here uh, in our state, and it's pretty neat. You go at nighttime, they have all these Chinese lanterns that are up everywhere, and they have all these cool dragon-looking things, and they have these shows and stuff, and it's really, you can learn a lot about Chinese culture, and one of the things that they have, they have this big tunnel, and it's kind of uh, in honor of the Chinese calendar. They have like, you know, 12 different... uh, Uh, animals that represent different years like the year of the dragon is this if you're born in this year then you're born in the year of the dragon so uh, my boys and and laura and i were going to go and look and see you know what year we were born in and and, you know how that was like nathan my my youngest he's born in the year of the dragon so he thinks that's really cool like you know i'm a dragon guy and all that kind of stuff and so we walk and we're looking for mine and and we finally find out that that my year uh, Chinese year is the year of the pig. <laughs> so it's like, great, you get the year of the dragon, I'm the year of the pig, you know. I, for, you know, I felt bad about that, right? I felt a little bit of shame. Like, I was born in the year of pig. What does that say about me, right? And so I had no reason to feel bad because of what somebody said, this is the year of, right? So misplaced shame is when we feel bad about something we shouldn't feel bad about. And it could be something as trivial as being born in the year of the pig or the year of the rat, which my other son Luke was born in. He's not thrilled about that, that either. Or, you know, or like the Olympic runner who did their best, right? Has nothing to leave on the field, just wasn't good enough to win. There's nothing to be ashamed of, and yet still feel bad. I let my country down, right? I just couldn't bring home the gold. Um, and it can be also very serious when other people do harmful things to us. We feel bad. We feel shame when people are abusive to us, emotionally abusive, physically abusive, sexually abusive, have done heinous things to us. We feel bad about ourselves as if we've done something wrong when we haven't done anything wrong at all, right? It's someone else's actions, and so that's misplaced shame. We don't have anything to feel bad about when someone does something harmful to us. And so there's, there's well-placed shame, there's misplaced shame. The Bible also says that sometimes we can feel ashamed of God, and, and that's not what God wants. You know? Sometimes we're embarrassed to say, yeah, I, I believe in God, and 
or yeah, I believe in life after death, or yeah, I, I go to church, or yeah, I give money to church, or yeah, I serve at the church, or you know, I feel a little bit awkward when we go out to eat and, and I say a prayer in front of people that people are going to look at me funny, right? You know, the Bible says we don't need to be ashamed of our faith. Right? We don't need to be ashamed of God. You know, sometimes in the world today, people make fun of people who have faith. And, and sometimes we feel that pressure in, in our lives. And God says, you don't need to be ashamed of me. And I think the, the most prevalent place that we feel ashamed of God is when we try to do the right thing and we're around other people who are doing the wrong thing and they tell us that, that we should feel bad for wanting to do the right thing. Right? What do you mean you don't want to smoke a joint? What, what's wrong with you? What do you mean you don't want to cheat on your taxes? Everybody cheats on their taxes, right? The government's crooked and dirty. You, you, you need to, to cheat on your taxes. You need to cheat on your spouse. There's nothing wrong with doing that, right? You, you need to smoke this or drink this. or Yeah, it's okay to gossip about somebody. You know what? what, what are you too good to not talk about somebody, right? When we're embarrassed for doing the right thing, that's misplaced shame. And one other serious category of misplaced shame is that when we have well-placed shame, when we've done something wrong and we feel bad about that and we ask for forgiveness and we've been granted forgiveness, that we continue to feel guilty about what God has forgiven us for, that is misplaced shame. Right? So sometimes we need to feel bad about what we do and sometimes we feel bad when we shouldn't feel bad. Well-placed shame, misplaced shame. What did you bring in the door with you? today. Now, Dr. Brene Brown, uh, who is a world authority on shame, uh, she kind of talks about it in a different way. She distinguishes very clearly between what guilt is and what shame is. So let's see what she says about guilt and what shame is, right? So she says that guilt is holding on to something that we've done or failed to do up against our values and feeling discomfort, right? So this is what I stand for. This is what I've done, and it doesn't match up to that. Right? I should feel bad about that. Now, I think that's what we talked about as far as well-placed shame. I've done something wrong. I should feel bad about that. Right? That, that is helpful. We can adapt from that and, and we can move on. So she says, you know, guilt can be good. It's, it's what we do and how we react to it. And then she says that shame is an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we're flawed. There's something wrong with us, who we are. Right? Not what we've done, but who we are down deep. There's something wrong with us, and therefore, we're not worthy of love. We're not worthy to belong. And she says this is not productive. This is destructive. Right? So she says that guilt is good because it says our actions have been wrong, and we need to change those. But she says shame is not good because it says it's about who we are more than what we've done, and who we are is seen as deficient. Are, are not good enough. And she says, this has no place in the world, right? So, you know, whether you think like, you know, John Piper or whether you think like Brene Brown, I think ultimately they're saying the same thing just in different ways. Sometimes we should feel bad because we've made bad decisions. And sometimes we feel bad about ourselves when we don't need to feel bad about ourselves. So when you came in today, what did you bring with you? Now, as we think about circles of influence and how, when we feel ashamed, how that can affect other people in our lives. Uh, and it can affect other people in our lives that sometimes if we don't deal with shame appropriately, we're going to hurt the people in our lives because of the way that we react to that. And so Dr. Brown talks about shame screens, things that we hide our shame behind. 
and uh, it's, it's very appropriate, and it lines up with Scripture again. And so this is what she says. She says, these are three dangerous things that we do to react to shame, whether that's well-placed shame or misplaced shame. She says, these are three things that we can do that will harm our circles of influence in our lives with the people that we care about, and even the people that we don't care about, who we should care about. These are three problems. The first is that we move against shame. Right? When we feel bad about ourselves, we want, to, we want to inflict that upon someone else. right? And so to make ourselves feel better, we want to bring shame on someone else. And so we take our power, we take our authority, and we start to manipulate other people in our lives to make their lives worse so that we are not by ourselves and feeling shameful. I think this is exactly what King David did. He was ashamed that he had an affair. That he got Bathsheba pregnant, and then he killed her husband, right? Those are things that are, that are bad, right? But what did he do? He felt bad about having the affair, getting her pregnant, when he couldn't cover it up by bringing Uriah back home and he wouldn't cooperate. What did King David do? He abused his power, and he had Uriah killed, right? So he moved against shame. If I'm going to feel bad, I'm going to cover it up, and I'm going to hurt people and take them down with me. Right? Now, hopefully we haven't committed murder, uh, but I think in our lives sometimes, you know, again, we're feeling bad about ourselves. We come home, we take it out on our children. We take it out on our spouse. We go to work, and, and, and we feel bad about ourselves. We're going to make their lives miserable, whether that's directly, aggressively in their face or whether it's passive-aggressive, and we're saying, bless your heart as we're sticking the knife in their back. Right? We move against shame by hurting other people in our circles of influence. The second way we do this is that we move away from shame. When we feel bad about ourselves, we want to hide. We want to we go and hide and, and get away from it. We want to keep it secret. We, we want to keep it quiet, right? Like the woman who went to the well. She didn't want to be around other people. Like the woman who needed healing from Jesus. She didn't want to do that publicly. She wanted to sneak the power out of Jesus, right? Sometimes we just want not to be seen. Right? Now, the problem is sometimes we're feeling shame because of what other people have done to us. They've been abusive to us. They've been hurtful to us. We've done nothing wrong. If we're quiet about that, not only do they get away with it, but we don't deal with it ourselves, and we can't move past it. Right? At some point, we need to bring it into the light, and we need to deal with it, and we might need some help to do that. But if we just keep hiding and keep it secret, it's only going to get worse and worse and worse till it erupts, and then we take it out on other people, right? So hiding from it is not good for our circles of influence either, right? And then Dr. Brown says that another way that we deal with shame is that we move towards it. And what she says is that we feel so bad about ourselves that we're, we're looking for any kind of person to say something positive about us to make us feel better about ourselves. And so we feel bad about ourselves, so we will do anything to get affirmation from other people. We'll do anything, even if it brings further shame into our lives. I'll give you an example. Someone battling with, with, with shame might say, I want to feel loved by someone else. I'm going to be promiscuous, and I'm going to do whatever it takes for someone else to love me. Sometimes we feel bad about ourselves. We want someone else's affirmation so much that when we see somebody being bullied or made fun of, then, then we join in on it. We get with the people who are the bullies or, or the ones who are making fun, and we take it out on someone else, and we want that approval of the others who are making fun of each other. And so sometimes we want to be liked so much that we'll do anything to get the affirmation of our circle of influence, even if it means bringing more shame upon ourselves. 
And I wonder if when Jesus' 12 disciples are shown in the Bible as talking to each other saying, who is the greatest among us? I think I'm the greatest. No, no, I think I'm the greatest, right? These, these 12 men have been singled out by Jesus from everybody else in Israel to be his 12 disciples, and they're so full of insecurity, and I would probably guess some kind of mismanaged shame in their life that all they can do is, is to seek to be the best among each other, and they're tooting their own horns. Do, do you know people like that who are constantly telling you how good they are, how great they are? And, and I think it's to, to mask some of this hidden shame that we haven't been able to deal with. We don't feel good on the inside about ourselves, so we need to go and make someone else give us external validation, even if it means selling ourselves out even more. Right? And Dr. Brown says none of this helps. In fact, it makes it worse. And our circles of influence, right, we're, we're just making them worse. Right? Wow, what a joyful message we're having today. Woo, right? Where's the good news in this? Right? Well, the good news is it doesn't have to be this way. Right? Jesus doesn't want it to be this way. Jesus has an alternative story. He has an alternative message. He has a way to help us get past this and to let go of our shame. And it's all written right there in Scripture. Right? And it, we start by going back to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, where Jesus uh, and God, the Holy Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're creating the world, they're creating the first human beings, uh, and we pick up this story in Genesis 1.27. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What this means is, brothers and sisters, is that you and I are created in the image of God, and that is a very good thing because God is perfect. God is good. We have something in our DNA that is of God, that is great, that is amazing. There's something inside of us that is not deficient. It is, it's awesome, right? And so inside of us is, is affirmation Inside of us, we don't need the world to give us affirmation. We can know that God created us in God's image. God is good. And so there's something inherent in our human nature that is great because we're created in God's image. It means that we are great. It means that we can love. It means that we can be creative. It means that we can make the world a good place. It means that we can be forgiving of others. So I want you to turn to someone and tell them, you are made in God's image. Just go ahead and do that. You are made in God's image. Right? That is good. Right? There's nothing shameful about being created in God's image. Right? So that's good news. Now some more good news is that God gives us the ability to act how we want to in the world. That's good news. But the bad news is sometimes we choose to do the wrong thing, right? So now Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he was a pastor in the first century. He started a lot of churches. Um, he writes a lot about, you know, some of this stuff. So I want to go to Paul's writings in the New Testament as he's writing to the church who was in, that was in Rome in Italy. And this is what he says in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned, all have done wrong, and fall short of the glory of God. So, so the good news is we're created in God's image, and that's great. The bad news is, is we choose sometimes to do the wrong thing. And, and we choose to do the wrong thing so many times that, that there must be something, again, in our DNA inherent inside of us that's broken, that there's something wrong with us. So it's kind of like this, this cosmic 
push and pull of, do I do the right thing? I've been created in God's image. Or do I do the wrong thing? I, I choose not to do what God wants me to do, right? So we're in this, in our DNA is like this, this tug of war. There's something great inside of us and there's something not great inside of us, right? So, so how do we resolve the struggle? And that's what Paul goes on to write in verse 24 of, of Romans chapter 3. And all of us are justified. That means we're made right with God. To be made right with God by His grace, right? His unmerited favor. God does something that we don't deserve to make things right between us and God through the redemption that came by Jesus, right? Through Christ Jesus. Right? So when Jesus comes from heaven to earth and He dies on a cross, He says, the reason I'm doing this is that, yeah, you're creating God's image and that's great and you do great things, but there's also sin in you, right? It's also part of your DNA and part of who you are. And because you sin, you bring guilt into your life and you bring shame into your life. You're going to bring brokenness into your life with relationships with God and with each other. The Bible calls that hell, right? Separation from right relationship. And you're going to die one day. Jesus says, that's not why I created you. That's not why I created you in my image, right? So I'm going to do something about that. That's why he came to the earth. He died on a cross. He came back to life. He defeated all that junk. And so now he takes our guilt and shame and he replaces it with joy and peace, right? He gives us life to the full. He gives us a purpose. We can make a difference in the world and we can live forever in the kingdom of heaven if we invite Jesus in, right? He did all the work, but we must ask him to come in and say, God, I'm sorry. I need you to help me with this. Then Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you. This is what Jesus says to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Yes, you deal with shame. Yes, you deal with with guilt. You're weak, but I'm going to bring something good from that. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest in me. My grace is sufficient for you. Where you're deficient, I'm sufficient. Ask me to be a part of your life. God says, I am what you need. I am the answer. I am the sufficiency to balance your deficiencies. So what? So what's the big deal? What's the point? How does this affect my everyday life? What what does this mean? I want you to listen really carefully. We're going to put it up on the screen here for you. Shame pronounces us guilty and deficient. Shame says that you're guilty, I'm guilty. You're deficient, I'm deficient. Jesus pronounces us forgiven and that his grace is sufficient. Jesus pronounces us forgiven and lets us know that his grace is all that we need. It is sufficient, right? And so we can take our shame and we can give it to Jesus right now. That's what those three characters that we've been studying, right, in this message from the Bible did, right? The woman who had all those failed relationships, she met Jesus that day at the well. She listened to what he had to say. She gave her life to him. You know what she found out? He was the relationship she was looking for, right? And it wasn't a romantic relationship. It was a God-to-person relationship. She found rest for her soul. She found purpose in her life. She went out into her community. She was able to surrender her shame and become a prominent member of her community. She found that Jesus was the sufficiency in the relationship that she needed. She found life to the full. King David, right? Murderer, adulterer, right? Bad, bad stuff in his life. He felt so bad about it. He finally came clean to God and he confessed that God, I messed up big time. I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? I'll face whatever circumstance, consequences I need to face, God. I just need you to forgive me. And, and so God forgave him, right? 
and, and David had to face some, some powerful earthly consequences. The, the, the consequence for what he did in the affair and having the, the husband killed was that when their child was born, David and Bathsheba's child was born, God took the child. Right? That, that was a major price for them to have to pay. Right? But he received forgiveness. He received spiritual forgiveness. God took his shame. God took his, his pain. God took his guilt gave him joy and peace, and David became the greatest king Israel has ever known. If there's hope for King David, brothers and sisters, there's hope for you and me. The woman who was bleeding all those years, and and she was too ashamed to publicly ask Jesus for help. She grabbed hold of 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 his robe. You know what happened, right? Energy went out to her, and she was healed. And Jesus said, I felt, I felt some energy go out of me. Which one of you touched me, right? There's this whole crowd of people, right? So now everybody's looking. Who touched Jesus? Who stole his power? Who did all this kind of stuff? This is her moment. Make or break, right? I'm going to keep hiding or am I going to come clean? And and she said, it was me, Jesus. And he didn't scold her. He didn't say, why did you steal my power? Why did you do this? He said, your faith has made you well. And so now not only was she healed physically, but she was healed of her shame to where she had the strength to say in front of everybody, it was me, right? And Jesus said, all is well. Brothers and sisters, what shame did you bring in the door with you today? Shame, right, pronounces us guilty. Shame pronounces us deficient. Jesus pronounces us forgiven. Jesus says that his grace is all sufficient, everything that we need. So here's what I invite you to do right here and right now. If you brought in, you know, well-placed shame, or if you brought in, right, misplaced shame, whatever it is, give it to Jesus right now. Surrender it to Jesus right now. If it's well-placed shame to say, you know what, God, I've, I've messed up, and I'm so sorry, and I'm tired of living with the guilt and the shame. I'm ready to face the consequences, God, the earthly consequences. I just want you to be with me to do that. Lord, please forgive me. Come in me. Live in me. I want to live a new, different story in 2019. He'll do that right now. Or maybe it's misplaced shame. Right? Somebody else has done something to hurt us. We carry around this, 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 this bad feeling for something we didn't do, and we just can't let go of it. To say, Jesus, I'm tired. Please take this shame from me. Right? And his message might be, right, seek some counseling from a good Christian counselor. And, and that is great advice. And, and, and we can help with that. But it might be right here, right now in this room. Jesus says, you've carried that burden for too long. Give it to me. It's mine. And you will leave this room and you won't feel it. Right? Brothers and sisters, what shame did you come in the door with? Give it to Jesus right now. And as we think about our circles of influence, who in your life is battling a battle with shame? Who could you go and and say, you know what I learned today about shame? I I just think you might need to hear this. Or, hey, you need to go check out this message on my church's website, right? Maybe we can be carriers to help other people who are battling shame. And if we've been struggling with shame, right, and, and we've been inflicting that on other people, like we talked about the shame screens, maybe the greatest gift that we can have today is I might still be wrestling with shame, but I'm not going to let it affect the other people in my life. I'm not going to bring down my spouse. I'm not going to bring down my children. I'm not going to bring down my, my class. I'm not going to bring down uh, my people at work, right? I'm not going to bring down my neighbors. I'm not going to bring down my church family. This is stuff I've got to deal with. I'm not going to take it out on them anymore. Shame pronounces us guilty and deficient. Jesus pronounces us forgiven and that his love, 
his grace is sufficient. Give your shame to Jesus today, right? What, what if, what if we all did that right here today? How great could 2019 be if we were able to let that junk go and to feel the love and the joy of Christ saying, I'm walking out of this, this movie theater a different person because I encountered the power of Jesus Christ today. What if we all did that? 2019 can be an incredible year if we surrender this stuff to Christ right now.